0: On Watchfulness and Noetic Prayer, Homily by Elder Ephrem of Arizona The watchful fathers labored greatly in order to find the grace of God through prayer. This is why we, their children, owe them eternal thanks, for they showed us a road which leads the soul to union with God. One wonders and says, But how is it possible for people, and especially for monks and priests, to live spiritually and satisfy their spiritual needs without prayer, which our watchful fathers gave us out of their experience. St. Gregory Palamas, the great luminary of Hezekiah, vigilance and especially unceasing prayer, wrote the greatest and most systematic lessons on prayer and received the title, The Head and Chief of the Watchful Fathers. When he lived ascetically outside the great Lavra on Mount Athos, Together with his synodia, he had a vision in which he saw that he had before him a vessel like a pitcher, which contained a liquid material. It was so full that the liquid was overflowing and was going to waste. That beautiful white beverage which was within the vessel looked like milk. A man of sacred appearance said to him, Gregory, why do you let so much spiritual material overflow and go to waste, instead of giving it to those who need it? the saint, of course, understood that it was the grace of God. It was that spiritual material and drink which he had within himself as the grace of God, as wisdom, as experience, as watchfulness, as the gift of speaking. Why do you neglect these gifts, he said, and confine them here in this place instead of imparting them to the weak, the hungry, the starving, the thirsty people? Indeed, years later, With God's help and guidance, of course, he found himself among many people, and he dispersed spiritual benefit and quenched the thirst of souls in need. Even when he was in the world, he prayed by himself. He practiced hesychasm alone in his cell, and only on Saturday and Sunday did he attend the liturgy. All the other days of the week, he confined himself to his cell and did not go out at all. He neither ate nor drank. Only on Saturday did he break his silence and go to the divine liturgy. After receiving communion, he would go to the refectory and speak with the fathers and the brethren. Then once again he kept silence from Sunday afternoon until Saturday. These great fathers taught us that when a person's soul is attacked by thoughts that are filthy, proud, egotistical, blasphemous, sinful, etc., the soul must struggle to expel the thoughts with anger and wrath, as well as with the prayer and rebuttal. It is not enough to employ only anger and wrath against evil fantasies and thoughts. It is absolutely necessary for the person who is being fought against to pray with the unceasing prayer, with the invocation of the divine name, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. According to the fathers, the name of Christ has restorative power within it, that is, This prayer of Christ has power to restore the soul which has fallen low and has become weak, which has become negligent and has sinned. There are days and times in the life of a spiritual person when he feels an emptiness within himself, a weakness of soul. Something is missing. Something within him has left, and he does not quite know how to come to himself, how to bring back the initial strength and grace which his soul had. He does not know how to bring back the fullness which he lost. In this case, the Holy Fathers teach us, resume the prayer, begin prayer again, either with a mouth, with a mind, or with a heart, and this lost fullness will return. You will find it again, provided that you force yourself to pray. It is of great value when a person does not stop the prayer, but when one is working, someone will object. The mind is scattered here and there. Nevertheless, it is possible to say the prayer very well with the mouth at such a time, discreetly and quietly, and thus to restore the feeling of grace to his soul. Our fathers have left us a great inheritance of limitless value, which cannot be measured, weighed, or calculated. This inheritance is called watchfulness. Watchfulness means attention to thoughts, fantasies, and the movements of the senses. It is a spiritual strength that opposes evil. It is clear perception, that is, the noose sees temptations from afar and flees, taking the appropriate safety measures. It is when the noose oversees the heart and the thoughts coming in and going out of it. Before the Holy Fathers, those teachers of watchfulness, systematized noetic prayer, monks occupied themselves primarily with virtues belonging to praxis. Asceticism done with the body is called praxis, whether it is fasting, abstinence, prostrations, vigil, the church services, obedience, humility, etc. They called this praxis somewhat beneficial, while they called watchfulness greatly beneficial. From the 14th century onward, prayer began to be systematized and organized by the fathers. They left writings about prayer they made known the work of watchfulness as something necessary for the perfection of man. Before the teaching concerning the work of vigilance had been systematized, before it was known and freely circulated, the fathers and spiritual people toiled greatly in praxis. They kept many fasts, many vigils, endured hardships, etc. But when the work of vigilance came to light as a systematic method, then the amount of asceticism was reduced not because it was unnecessary, but because the fathers dedicated themselves more to spiritual work than to praxis. Through the work of watchfulness they were freed from thoughts, and the passions were reduced. The work of watchfulness gave them purity of heart. This is why they did not have such an absolute need for bodily asceticism to attain purity of soul. For this reason we monks must not lay aside this prayer for it is guaranteed to bring benefit 1,000%. For when the work of watchfulness purifies the noose and heart and gives prudent care to the exterior senses of the body as well as to the interior senses of the soul, then a monk does not need much asceticism to attain the same goal. Asceticism through praxis is a helpful means towards watchfulness. For this reason the fathers, in part and according to their strength, also exercise themselves in asceticism through praxis, in order, of course, to help the work of watchfulness. But for the most part, they pursue the work of watchfulness, because prayer and watchfulness teach the most thorough lessons about spiritual matters and theoria. The work of watchfulness leads the watchful person to theoria, from theoria to wisdom, from wisdom to love, and it is from love that divine eros proceeds. Purity was a natural result of this work of watchfulness. Purity of both soul and body came on its own. While in physical asceticism the fathers exerted themselves to death and suffered greatly, the work of watchfulness took away most of the labor and toil. The work of watchfulness led the watchful fathers to freedom from care For they saw that caring unduly for many things in various matters is a serious obstacle to the pursuit of watchfulness, because it gives birth to thoughts. Thoughts draw the attention of the noose away from prayer and theoria. For this reason the fathers call the care of things which are unnecessary and superfluous spiritual tuberculosis. Cenobites live under obedience. A natural consequence of obedience is freedom from cares for the one who obeys. For as long as I practice obedience, and as long as someone else bears the concerns, I can have peace and tranquility, carrying out only my diaconima. When I carry out a diaconima, I consider that beyond this I do not need to worry about anything else. I can combine my work with prayer very well. If I see that my noose is unable to attend to the handicraft with prayer, because it is distracted by many things unrelated to the duties it has at its diaconima, then out of necessity I will begin the oral invocation of the name of Christ, saying in a whisper, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. When the mouth prays and the hands work, the work has twice the grace, the grace of obedience and the grace of prayer. Obedience gives us a reward for our work, while prayer sanctifies it. Any work escorted by prayer has a special grace. In the monastery of Tabanesi in Egypt, there was so much stillness that they called it a necropolis, a city of the dead. By this they meant that the fathers were so silent that it was as if they were not living people, who have need of speech and bustle. Furthermore, since they had this stillness, they certainly had the time to say the prayer or to be occupied with the aria of God. It is clear that someone who loves stillness has understood the benefit of stillness in prayer. We do not know the benefit of being vigilant with our thoughts. We do not know the value of silence. We have not found out how much benefit comes from remaining in stillness in our cell. A monk who lacks prayer feels empty, unless he has not tasted the benefit of prayer and does not realize his emptiness. If a poor man never had anything, he is not troubled. But if a monk who has been taught the prayer becomes neglectful and loses it, he knows his loss and is troubled. Therefore, monks must pray not only to carry out their duty as monks, but at the same time to be monks indeed, Not just monks in name, an outward appearance, but also inwardly. According to the watchful fathers, one is not called a monk if he does not have this hidden work within him. Therefore, we too must compel ourselves to pray for our soul to be full of benefit. Only then can we consider ourselves to be monks. Just as someone could wonder how a body could live without a soul, likewise, a person experienced in prayer would be at a loss and say, But how can people live without this spiritual nourishment? The watchful fathers tell us that those who pray in this manner acquire great gifts. Through fasting, prayer, abstinence, and vigil we are given grace, the very grace of the Holy Spirit. The grace of the Holy Spirit has many forms and many sensations. The Holy Spirit, through advanced prayer and the work of watchfulness, bestows the grace of tears. The grace of joy, the grace of foresight, the grace of teaching, the grace of the apostolic charisma, the power of forbearance, of patience, of divine consolation, of great hope, the grace of divine eros, of theoria, of rapture. We, of course, are continuously being taught, and the more we are taught, the more our obligation to God and the Father's increases. Our passions of soul and body are remedied in proportion to the progress we have made in prayer and the benefit we have received from it. The healing of one's passions and weaknesses marks how much a person has advanced in prayer. Consequently, we must compel ourselves. We must constantly urge ourselves not to forget the prayer, not to neglect it. When we notice that the prayer has sprung a leak, has weakened and begins to waver and stumble, it is necessary as quickly as possible to strive to correct it, to work with diligence, to restore strength to our prayer. How will this be accomplished? The soul must collect itself immediately, must concentrate, tighten the belt, as we say, and vigorously begin to pray. It must drive away thoughts, expel worries, free the mind from distraction, and say, I will occupy myself with a prayer now. And when we occupy ourselves with it in this way for a while, we shall soon feel the power which proceeds from diligence in prayer. Prayer is the catapult against the demons, against the passions, against sin, and in general against everything that opposes us on the road of salvation. If you call prayer a harbor, you are not mistaken. For in the harbor a small boat which was rocked by the storms finds its peace, salvation, and safety. If you call prayer a pick, if you call it an axe, if you call it a compass, if you call it a light, if you call it a thousand other such names, you will not err. Therefore, we monks must not neglect it at all. There are laypeople in the world, mainly women. Who occupy themselves with the struggle extensively in prayer. Even though they have cares, they have children, they have work, they have so many obligations. Yet they find time to pray and to meditate upon the name of God. What do we have to say for ourselves? Since God has given us so much liberty and freedom from cares. What do we have to say for ourselves? When we neglect prayer and say it so weakly that its weakness allows the disease of sin and the passions to crush us and make us ill, do thoughts war against us? Prayer is a great weapon. The attraction of sin pulls the mind towards evil. But when the mind takes hold of the acts of prayer and lifts it and begins to chop, it uproots even the hardest of thoughts. As long as one gets a good grip of the axe and wields it skillfully, it really brings about wonderful results. But the devil knows this. He hinders us from saying the prayer so that he can capture us more easily. He brings negligence upon us. He brings us cares. He brings us a thousand and one obstacles with the sole aim of hindering prayer. As experience has shown many times, the demons shudder at the name of Christ. They themselves admit, through people's mouths, that they are burned when a person prays. There was a monk who had fallen into so much negligence that he not only abandoned his rule, but was also ready to return to the world. He went to his homeland, the island of Cephalonia, where people possessed by demons streamed to be healed at the shrine of St. Garasimos. Since he was near the shrine, he also went to venerate the saint But a possessed woman met him on the way and said to him, Do you know what you're holding in your hand? Ah, if only you knew what you're holding in your hand, you wretch, if you only knew how much that prayer rope of yours burns me, and you just carry it like that out of habit, as a formality. The monk stood thunderstruck. It was from God that the demon spoke like that. The monk came to himself. God enlightened him, and he said to himself, See, what a fool I am. I hold in my hand the most powerful weapon, and I can't even strike one demon. Not only am I unable to strike him, but he drags me captive wherever he wants. I have sinned, my God. And at that very moment, he set out in repentance for his monastery. Once he got there, he made a good beginning again. He made so much progress in the prayer and in the monastic life in general that he became a model for the benefit of many others. I, the lowly one, also had the chance to meet with this elder. All you ever heard him say was, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, unceasingly. If you said something to him, he would answer with a few words, and then his tongue immediately returned to the prayer. That is how accustomed to it he was. That is how much it had changed him. And imagine that the value of the prayer and of the prayer rope had been revealed to him by the devil, involuntarily, of course, according to the judgments and the unfathomable plans of the Most High. Let me tell you another similar story. When we were at New when my elder Joseph was still alive, a young man who was possessed came to us. The elder, out of compassion, welcomed these unfortunate people. They stayed as long as they liked, and then left of their own accord. These people are not able to stay for long in one place. All those who lack consolation from God within themselves seek it by moving from place to place, and from one group of people to another. This young man had the demon of a prostitute. When it seized him, his voice changed into the voice of a common woman, and he said things which it is shameful even to speak of, As the apostle says. He was a barrel maker by trade. He stayed in our for some time, and during the work hours he came to help however he could. On the third day he said to me, Father, won't you teach me to carve prosper on seals too? Those barrels I make are hard work, and I've got this thing inside me that constantly disgraces me. I will teach you, my brother. May it be blessed. Look, This is how you do it. The tools are here, the wood is there, and the samples are in front of you. You will work at this bench. The only thing is that, as you see, all the fathers here in this synodia don't talk. They are always saying the prayer. I said this to avoid, as much as possible, idle talk and distraction from prayer. But also something else crossed my mind at that moment. I wondered if demoniacs can say the prayer. So we began to work, saying the prayer. Only a few moments passed and the demon flared up within him. His speech changed and he started shouting, using foul language, threatening and swearing. Shut up, you scum, it said from within him. Shut up. Stop that muttering. Why do you keep saying the same words over and over again? Quit saying those words. You make me dizzy. I'm fine inside you. Why do you want to disturb me? It went on like this for a while. It tormented him. Then it stopped. See what it does to me, the poor fellow said. This is what I go through all the time. Patience, my brother, patience, I said to him. Don't pay any attention to it. These are not your own words, so don't get upset. You just concentrate on the prayer. We stopped working and went to the elder. On the way, he said to me, Father, should I say a prayer also for the one inside me? For God to have mercy on him as well? What a thing for that poor fellow to say. At once the demon seized him, lifted him up, and slammed him down. The whole place shook. His voice changed, and it started up again. Shut up, you scum! Shut up, I told you! What are you saying? What do you mean, mercy? Not mercy. I don't want mercy, no! what have I done to ask for mercy? God is unjust. For one little sin, for one proud thought, he banished me from my glory. It's not our fault, it's his fault. He should repent, not us. Get mercy far away from me. It tormented him terribly and left him a wreck. I shuddered at what that demon said. In a few minutes I had learned more about demons through experience than I could have grasped from reading thousands of books. We went on to my elder. My elder always received him and talked to him with great love, and that young man was always calm when he was with him. He prayed a great deal for such people, for he knew what a martyrdom they went through from the demons. And he said to us, If we, who have the demons outside of us, are so tormented by thoughts and passions. What a martyrdom must these unfortunate people endure who have the demons inside them day and night? And shaking his head sadly, he concluded, Perhaps they are going through their hell here. But woe to those who will not repent so that God may chasten them compassionately in one way or another in this present life. And he quoted the words of a saint who said, If you see a person who sins openly and does not repent, and nothing grievous happens to him in the present life up to the hour of his death, then know that the examination of this person will be without mercy in the hour of judgment. As the elder said these things, we regarded that troubled brother with more and more sympathy. During the services, he did not come inside the church with the fathers, but wandered around outside on the rocks with his prayer rope and kept shouting out the prayer continuously. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. The whole place echoed with it. He had experienced how much the prayer burns the demon, and as he roamed around the rocks incessantly saying the prayer, suddenly his voice would change and the demon would start. Shut up. I told you. Shut up. You're choking me. Why do you stay out here wandering around the rocks and muttering? Go inside with the others and stop this muttering. Why do you keep repeating the same thing day and night and not give me a moment's rest? You've made me dizzy. You've scorched me. You're burning me. Don't you understand? And when the time of temptation was over, he would go back to the prayer with the prayer rope. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. He had understood very well something that the demon thought he could not understand. It was with pain of soul, and yet with hope, that we saw him suffer, struggle, and endure. Anyway, he stayed with us for a while and then left, considerably improved. We never saw him again, though. God knows what became of him. Do you see the power of the prayer and the demon's refusal to repent? They are consumed with fire, and they cry out, Not mercy! And they never stop blaming God. Oh, what satanic pride! I wonder, how does an egotist, a person who is utterly unrepentant, differ from a demon? someone who does not deign to confess Christ as God and man and to seek his mercy and compassion as long as he lives, do you now see the deeper significance of the prayer and that it reveals how near or far people are from Christ? We let our thoughts loose, and they take control of us. We let our thoughts loose, and they imprison us, while we could use the resplendent weapon of prayer, that weapon which is called fire and flame. This prayer is a whip that scourges every demonic thought. But we, first of all, I, are unworthy to occupy ourselves with it. Not that we are unable or that we do not have the calling for prayer, but we are lazy and negligent. The devil leads us astray, and we obey him and do not occupy ourselves with prayer as we should. If we did occupy ourselves with it, we would not have let so many passions and weaknesses conquer us. We see that even lay people who occupied themselves with prayer were sanctified. The father of St. Gregory Palamas was within the palace, in the imperial council of Andronikos, the Byzantine emperor. Despite the fact that he had so many concerns, worries, and business matters, he was involved with prayer and experienced the benefit and progress which came from it. This goes to show that wherever a person may find himself, wherever he may be, whatever life he may lead, he can attain the grace of God when he occupies himself with this wonder-working prayer. We see also St. Maximus Kafsokolivis, who wandered around the wilderness of the holy mountain in quiet places to be able to increase prayer. The fathers asked him, Father, why do you go into the wilderness? And why do you flee men and not come near them? He answered, I wander out in desolate places in order to increase prayer. Experience has shown that without the proper stillness, prayer does not achieve the greater and additional gifts which issue from it. Both in the world and in the stillness of the mountains, much is accomplished by prayer we who are in a synobium must hold on to the prayer and implement the virtues of praxis, being obedient, cutting off our will, loving each other, being tolerant towards one another, confessing our thoughts frankly, remaining spiritually obedient to our elders, saying the prayer continually at our diaconima. And when we have carried out all these things, the grace of God will come in proportion to our intention and our faith, in proportion to the faith and obedience which we have towards our elders, in proportion to our ascetic struggle. We here, under one roof, under the guidance of one shepherd, are also able to attain a sufficient measure of grace, for God does not show favoritism. He rewards those who work at His commandments with a pure heart, with a pure conscience. He comforts them and gives them the hope of salvation. In conclusion, there is nothing left for us to do except to compel ourselves. To compel ourselves constantly. We should occupy ourselves with prayer above all, saying continuously, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. As we wake up in the morning, we should say the prayer. Then we should do our work with the name of Christ on our lips. By saying the prayer like this, we cut back on idle talk, superfluous words, criticism, anger, and grumbling, and each one of us keeps stillness within himself. Woe to us when we are taught and do not practice, when we do not compel ourselves, when we are furnished with the means to compel ourselves and yet do nothing. What is left for us to do except to condemn ourselves continuously as unworthy, wretched, and lazy? At least through self-reproach and humility, we may regain forcefulness in prayer. For humility and self-reproach bring the grace of God, and God in turn brings eagerness and facilitates prayer. As I also said in the beginning of this homily, we owe continual gratitude to our watchful fathers. Let us revere them, love them, and glorify them. Let us seek their prayers and intercessions, and let us entreat them to send us also a small gift a little blessing of prayer. Through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, the Holy Elder Ephraim of Arizona, O Lord Jesus Christ our God, have mercy on us. Amen.